0: church family, Um, welcome to Church Online and I'm so glad that you could tune in and be together um, online as we're doing in this season of our lives and I'm so excited to um, be with you this week. Today is Palm Sunday and I'm so excited to speak to you um, about what God's word um, says about Palm Sunday and what I believe God is inviting us as a community to do. And so I'd like to start off off with a word of prayer and then we'll get into the scriptures. Um, Jesus, thank you so much for the gift that is technology and that we're able to virtually meet and, and be together and be encouraged and edified. And just thank you so much for every single person that's uh, watching this and every person that gets gets to be a part of making this happen. Um, I pray that the word that um, you speak to us today would be challenging and encouraging to our hearts. Um, I pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so today, as I said earlier, is Palm Sunday, which is the week, um, the Sunday before Resurrection Sunday. And so before we get to celebrating the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, so celebrating what is probably the most important holiday for us as Christians, uh, we get to look back. Um, it's, it's also known as the start of the Holy Week. And so um, it's a, some call it the Holy Week, some call it Passion Week, but it's the last week um, of Lent and as well as the last week leading up to the resurrection and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so as a church, we thought we just finished relationship goals and we're about to get to Easter. But before that, we want to get our hearts ready and um, ready our hearts for what the Lord has in store for us as we celebrate the the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to do that by going to the scriptures and going to the word of God and talking about it. And so if you have your Bible, open with me to Matthew 21, and um, I'll read from verse 1 to 13. And it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, on a colt and the fowl of the beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their clocks and sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their clocks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the ground. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? The crowds say, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers, and so that's our passage that we're going to be looking at today. And just to kind of spend some time setting the scene of what is happening here, um, this is as we're celebrating um, Passion Week, the week before the week starts, the week before Easter, if we can call it that. Um, something else was happening in the Jewish calendar that is important to what is happening, and so. Around this time there's a lot of important details that are leading up to Jesus being crucified. And so it is very important to, for us to pay attention to what is going on in the story because there is so much that is happening that we could easily miss because it's like, oh yeah, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem so he can get, you know, killed and murdered and die for our sins and all those things, but there's so much that is happening leading up to that that is so important to to Sunday to to Good Friday and all that we celebrate. And um, just to give you guys a background, um, around this time, I would say Jesus was at the peak of his ministry. He had just performed his last miracle. Um, that was probably his biggest miracle yet, um, raising Lazarus from the dead. And the town that Lazarus was from was right before Jerusalem. And so he was there and he had just done this thing that a lot of people got to hear about. You know, Lazarus was dead came to life because of what jesus had done but at the same time as jesus is planning his entry into jerusalem it happens to be a week before the feast of the passover and so as we'll be celebrating easter for the jewish calendar it would have been the feast of the passover which was a celebration if you can remember old testament it is a celebration of what jesus um, god did um, to the children of Israel, um, liberating them from slavery and setting them free from the the slave the enslavement by the Egyptian rulers, and so that was an annual celebration that was happening. All the Jews um, would travel from the different towns they're from into Jerusalem, which was the religious and political capital uh, for the Israelites, which is very important for why Jesus would would be going to Jerusalem, and so. Jesus is at the peak of his ministry, a lot of people know about him, and he is coming into the Jerusalem, into Jerusalem for the feast, but also for something more. And the interesting part about the story is every single thing that Jesus does is intentional. Everything that he does is purposeful. And so that's why I thought, man, it's so important for us to focus on the details of the story so that we don't miss what is going on. And so he's so purposeful that even as he is about to enter Jerusalem, he actually stops and says, hey guys, before we go in, this is the final time I'll be entering Jerusalem, and I am going to do it differently this time. This was not Jesus' first time um, in Jerusalem. If you remember, at the beginning of his ministry, he came into Jerusalem. As a child, Jesus came to Jerusalem when he went missing, and so this is not the first time, but this is an important time because of the timing. Um, if you have read the book of John before, you would notice that um, the writer John keeps on referring to his, his hour has not yet come. His hour has not yet come. Uh, and I want you to view this time as this is the beginning of the hour. And so as Jesus is going into Jerusalem, it is the beginning of the hour that had been anticipated since Jesus was born The time that had been anticipated, the time that we're about to celebrate, which is Easter. And so Jesus says, you know what, instead of entering Jerusalem and just walking in, I'm going to do it a little different. He sends two of his disciples and says, go inside Jerusalem and bring me back a donkey. And so these disciples being faithful followers of Jesus do exactly what they were told. And they came back with a donkey. And Jesus gets on the donkey and rides the donkey. And the scripture says there's something important that was going on in this moment. And one of the most key things that's happening is scripture is being fulfilled. It says in verse um, 4 that this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt and the fowl of the beast of burden. And so this was fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy about what the Messiah will be like. And so Jesus comes in on this donkey. And I kind of want to spend some time because, as I said, everything is purposeful in this story. Everything is intentional. And even this is not just Jesus' right. It is a very important right that is saying something about Jesus and about the kind of Savior and Messiah that he is. And so I actually want to go back into the Old Testament and go to the scripture that is being referred here, which is Zechariah 9. And I'm going to read it out for us. And so Zechariah 9, I'm going to read 9 and 10. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt and the fowl of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. He shall rule from sea to sea and from the river across the ends of the earth. And so what is so interesting about this is, first of all, Jesus fulfills the prophecy that was spoken about him. Um, The Old Testament is full of prophecy, is full of um, messages about the coming Messiah. And Jesus, um, all throughout Matthew's gospel, we've seen Matthew refer to, this is to fulfill what was spoken about him. And he continues to fulfill these prophecies, and this one is no different. But what is the saying, as we say, that intentionality, what is the saying about Jesus and about his kingship and about his mission? And so Jesus had a to-do list. This is how I'm looking at it. Jesus had a to-do list, and this was his plan. And so this part is him getting done and getting started with that to-do list. And so the first thing was, I'm going to fulfill the scriptures and come in on a donkey. And so Jesus does that easy. Go into town, find a donkey, I sit on it, and the people celebrate and praise me and all these things that's happening. Check, scripture fulfilled. But there's also something that's happening in between him coming on a donkey, you know, because Jesus, he has walked before, you know, he has um, walked on water before. And so he could have just like come in with an (laughs) electric slide, you know, into Jerusalem or any other way, but he chooses to come on a donkey. And as the passage I've read in Zechariah talks about, it gives us this contrast of a savior who is humble and bringing righteousness coming on a donkey and God removing the chariot and the war horse from Israel. And so this passage, is, him coming on a donkey is important because it's signifying what is important in his kingship, that Jesus is coming as a prince of peace. He's coming with justice, but not in the worldly sense. So Jesus coming in on a donkey to the Israelites would have been symbolizing he's coming for peace and not for war. And if Jesus was coming in on a horse or um, just like, you know, on whatever it is they used to use to like, you know, slay each other, you know, (laughs) Um, on a chariot, it would have been signifying the fact that he's coming for war. He's coming for blood. But Jesus comes in on a donkey to say, I am coming for peace. And so Jesus is using this symbolism to tell us something about his kingdom, to say his kingdom is a kingdom of humility. It's a kingdom of justice, righteousness, but also a kingdom of peace. He had different priorities. And the interesting part about the time in which the Israelites were in, Jerusalem being under the Roman rule, is more than ever they were in need of a Savior. And imagine this is a Passover. This is them celebrating the time where, god freed them from slavery and this is a time where they're saying lord we want to see you do it again we want to see you set us free once again you know and so they're hoping that this jesus this messiah is not only a person who can do miracles but is the prophet and the messiah that was spoken about that will bring freedom to israel and so they're looking at it in a sense of physical freedom they're looking at it in a sense of political freedom and so they are hoping Jesus is this political um, figure, this rebel with a cause, and the cause is for the people. And so Jesus coming in, instead of coming in on a, on a horse, he's coming in on a donkey. It is the very opposite of what they expected him to do, because they're expecting somebody who is going to take control, going to take charge, but that was not going to happen on a donkey. you know. And so Jesus, through doing this, sets his what I would say the second thing on his to-do list, which is set an agenda for his kingdom straight. And so it's like, you've been seeing me for the past three years. You've seen all I have done, the miracles. Um, You've seen him like, you know, butt heads with the Pharisees and all those things. But now is a time where he's saying, in case you are mistaken what I'm about, this is what I am about. I am not coming here for war. I'm coming in for peace. I'm not coming in for blood. You know, I'm coming to shed my blood. And so Jesus is here setting priority straight. He's coming here with an eternal priority and not just to overtake the kingdom in the physical sense, but kingdom. And so Jesus's focus is not on the earthly kingdom because earthly kingdoms rise and they fall. You know, they, we, we see it all the time. There's a different ruler today and another one tomorrow. And so Jesus's focus is not on that, but rather on what is eternal And so Jesus, the first place he went, which I find so interesting because I think it says so much about what his mission is. So the first place he went is the temple and he comes into the temple and is upset because the entire thing that the temple is built for, which is for people to connect to God, they have taken it and flipped it upside down and made it a place where they were having so much trade and so many, you know, change of money and selling of pigeons, which was like the sacrifice of the poor people. There's other things that is happening in the temple of God, the place where people are supposed to connect with God. And Jesus, I think that shows the heart of Jesus and the heart of his kingdom. That is, he came to connect people back to their king. There's a quote I really like that I think sums up the entire mission of Jesus perfectly. It's by old Thomas, who is Um, a poet and rapper from the group Humble Beast. Um, And he says, Jesus is the liberating king who came not to conquer kingdoms, but to conquer hearts and restore men back to what they were intended for. I think this is an almost perfect summary of what Jesus came to do. He came to restore people back to what they were intended for. He came not to win over crowns of this world, crowns that perish, but rather for eternal kingship, an eternal kingdom. And so that is his purpose. So his to-do list, as I said, two main things. The first one was prophecy has to be fulfilled. The word of God has to be fulfilled. And the second thing is he came to set the agenda of his kingdom straight. And eventually we see him setting it straight and actually accomplishing what he came for. But there's a second bit of the story. Jesus is there. He's doing all these amazing things. But there's also a group of people that are responding to what Jesus is doing, that are interacting with the story in their own way. And I want to kind of shift gears to this group of people that I call the crowd. And we're going to look into the crowd and look what is going on in the hearts of the people as all of this is happening. And then I'll bring it back together and we'll look at what God is inviting us in this season. And so it says in verse um, 8, it says, Most of the crowd spread their clocks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And the song that they were singing was a reflection. Was, they were quoting a scripture that was very common to be used during the time of the Passover, and that, that is Psalm 118, which is a, is a kingly psalm. And they were saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. They were appealing to his kingship. They were praising Jesus for his kingship. And it says the different crowds were there. Everybody it was a whole parade. Everybody, including the children, singing and praising Jesus, waving their branches up in the air and singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. And I find something interesting that I, um, a quote that I found that I think sums up the heart of what is happening with the crowd. Uh, there's a guy named David Groh who's from the Foo Fighters. Um, I'm sure like if you're like me, you don't know who those are, and that's okay. But he has a brilliant quote that says, the great thing about music is you can sing a song to 80, 85,000 people, and they'll sing it back for 85,000 85, different reasons. So you can sing a song... So 85 different, 85,000 different people, and they'll sing it back for 85,000 different reasons. That means every single person in the crowd has their own reason why that song is meaningful. And I think this crowd is no different. There's, there's an entire mix of crowd. There is what I'm calling the crowds within the crowd. And so they have the big, massive crowd that is sing, like singing and dancing. But as we explore this passage, especially when you compare it across the Gospels, you will see the different kind of characteristics that were there in the people. And I've broken them down to five groups of people. So the five crowds that were within the big crowd. And every one of these crowds says something different about how they were interacting with what was happening. And so the first crowd, I'm calling it the feast crowd. And so these were the people, as I said, remember this is during the Passover. So many people would have been traveling from across Israel to the holy city of Jerusalem to celebrate what God had done for them. So it's a very common time to have a lot of out-of-town travelers. And so they had the crowd that was there specifically for the feast. And so they came from across. Some of them even from Galilee, the town where Jesus is from. Some maybe from Capernaum, which was a neighboring town, or Bethany, or all these other towns. And then the second crowd was from Bethany. And the important part is this crowd had just sinned Jesus raised a man from the dead this is the crowd that was there when Lazarus was raised from the dead they're the crowd that was there because they were there for a funeral you know they were literally there because Lazarus had died and they were there to be there for Martha and Mary and lo and behold something amazing happens and they get to witness it with their very own eyes so they were there because they had seen what Jesus had done but there was also the crowd that heard about it. Some maybe didn't see it, but they're like, oh, by the way, this happened at the funeral, and yeah, this guy did this, and so they're following this person for what they had heard him do, right? And then there's a crowd that they found in Jerusalem, and so this is the citizens of Jerusalem. These are probably most of them that were asking, who is this? In verse 10, they're like, Like, who is this person? Like, he's clearly not from here. He's bringing so many people from out of town. He has his own special crowd that's hyping him up. Who is this guy? So they were very curious. And then we've got the disciples. We've got the 12, but not only the 12. We've got the women as well. We've got Martha, Mary, probably the mother of Jesus there, um, and all the other different women that were around Jesus. But even some of his other friends, like Lazarus, that were always part of his entourage. So his disciples his close group of friends right not which is not just the 12 and lastly we've got the crowd that seems to be everywhere where Jesus is going and those are the pharisees you know and they're here <laughs> you know they're always there for some reason they're always there and with this crowd i think they're all singing the same song but for different reasons you know we don't know the exact number of people that were there but these are the types of people that were there. So the crowd of the feast, some of them were singing it because, yeah, we've been singing this song all week, getting ready for the Passover. It's a song that we've memorized. It's a song that if there's somebody that we're seeing as a leader, we will like sing that song to acknowledge and praise them. You know, they're just being part of everything, you know. Uh, And then we have the crowd from Bethany, which is made up of a combination of people people who have seen Jesus for what he has done, people who have heard about what Jesus has done. And so they are praising Jesus and they're singing Hosanna because of what they have seen Jesus do, because they have seen Jesus raise somebody from the dead. you know. As to whether or not they're convinced he's the Messiah, we don't know, you know. But they have seen something that their eyes can't deny and their hearts can't deny, that what they have seen is enough for them to actually follow this guy into Jerusalem. And we've got the citizens that are questioning, you know, saying, who is this guy? You know, they're asking all the right questions. And um, they're very, very curious about knowing who Jesus was. And maybe they're just singing along because it's fun. And then they're like, you know what, we'll find out, like, when we get to the end. (laughs) Because sometimes it's pretty fun to, like, sing and dance with the crowd, right? And then we've got the disciples who, most of them have a complex relationship with Jesus, you know, three years ago they dropped everything to follow jesus and in about a week some of them will abandon him some of them will deny him imagine jesus is in this crowd singing hosanna can you believe it and in just a matter of days he will sell him you know to the pharisees you know and but the interesting part there is People like Martha and Mary, you know, people who have experienced what it means to sit under the lordship of Jesus Christ. People who have experienced a level of intimacy with Jesus. Whatever the case, whatever the story, all of those 12 and more, you know, have experienced something about Jesus that is worth leaving everything behind. Um, Think of Andrew and some of the first disciples. They saw and saw behold the Lamb of God. And they're like, you know what, we're going to follow this guy because they were confused convinced that he was the Lamb of God that was gonna be slain for the sin of the world. Think of Peter, James and John, they had just a few days or a few weeks, had just seen Jesus be transfigured, you know, and so they have seen something in this man that is not like anything else they've ever seen in their lives. Think of Lazarus, man, he's like I get a second chance at life, like for real, (laughs) you know? And so all of those guys they have a personal story with Jesus. That is what is special about disciples have a personal story with jesus and jesus has a personal story with them jesus has seen them in their weakest points and in their strongest points and their growth jesus even sees them for what they can be and not only what they are and so their reason for singing hosanna to the son of david is an entirely different reason from everybody else and lastly we have the pharisees who are probably not singing but they're there you know they're there and they're angry because they want power and control. And they they hate losing it to Jesus. They do not want Jesus to have that power and control. They want to keep it. They want to keep things the way they want them to be. And they know that Jesus coming here changes the whole script. But they want to keep it safe. They want to keep it benefiting them, you know, cuz that's what it really was. Like the system was working to their advantage and they want to keep it that way. They want to control what Jesus can do. Which part, of Je- like which part of Jesus they want, you know. And as you look at this crowd, where do you see yourself in the crowd? You know, we're all together celebrating Palm Sunday, most of us because it is a tradition. So like the people that were going to the feast, we are used to doing this It's a habit. Year in, year out, we do it all the time. Easter, it's a holiday, spend time with family, we celebrate the risen king, you know, we do it all the time. So maybe you're in this crowd that is just here and thinking it's another thing that we do like Christmas, you know. Or maybe you're in the crowd from Bethany. You have seen God do some amazing things in your life lately and you're like, you know what? I want to do this. I want to do this. How how far you will go for this? You don't know, you know. We'll, we'll just wing it and see, you know. But here you are praising Jesus, celebrating Palm Sunday, you know. Or maybe you're like the citizens of Jerusalem. You're just not sure. You just don't know who Jesus is. You just don't, you're just trying to figure it out. You just can't place him yet. You just, you can't say, I believe this guy because you just don't know him that well, you know. Or maybe you're like the disciples. You have seen and experienced and have memories of what it means to walk with Jesus. You know the kind of intimacy there is that comes with walking with Jesus. And I guarantee you, we don't see ourselves in the Pharisees. But when I was seeing the amount of control, the Pharisees and the power that we're trying to keep, I couldn't help but see myself in that. Because there's parts of my life I'm wanting to control and keep. There's parts of my life I'm like, Jesus, now you're doing too much. We have to stop you. You know, like, you were good by this boundary. Now you've gone over it. Now you want all the power, all the control. Come on, man. Like, I want to keep some for themselves. But wherever you are in all of this, and personally, I'm finding myself in every one of these characters. I don't think I'm just one person. I think I'm seeing myself in the crowd of the feast, in the crowd from Bethany, in the disciples, in the Pharisees. Because life is complicated, right? That's one of our flood slogans or things that we like to say. It's complicated, man, you know? Life is complicated. And that's fair. Sometimes I'm asking myself, like, who is this guy again? Like, I'm struggling to believe the same way the citizens from Jerusalem do. Sometimes I'm wanting to keep control. Other times I'm abandoning Jesus, like Peter and Judas. Almost well, mostly like Peter, you know. Other times, I, I'm just like, you know what, let's just wing it, see where it goes, follow the crowd and see where it leads us. Wherever where you are, there's something that I think is, is special when you take a time to be introspective because you get to have a real view of who and where you are. And I think that is the invitation that God is giving us this year because we can't be in the crowd. We are in the crowd in a sense of like, maybe this is what we celebrate as a collective, but we can't be in a crowd physically. Now more than ever, we get to be alone. And mm-hmm. so maybe that, that is our time to be introspective. But I think that what is so important in this season as well is what Jesus has come to do, and as we look at the crowd, it's so easy to like rank people and be like, yeah, the disciples should be like high up on the crowd, and the Pharisees should be like bottom of the barrel, like they're just like destined to hell or whatever. And we rank people according to what we, th- how holy or how close we think they are to God. But one thing I have realized that I just thought was incredible is. As Jesus walks his, this, this path in this week towards the cross, when you get, there's a common saying, it's not an original, don't quote me on it, but there's a saying that says, at the foot of the cross, the ground is equal. And so wherever you are in the crowd this week, wherever you find yourself, whether you find yourself being so close and intimate with Jesus, and you've, or you find yourself questioning and asking, who is this guy even? Or somewhere in between, just like floating, you know. The invitation is the same. Jesus gives us one invitation. He has come to conquer our hearts. He has not come to conquer kingdoms or conquer the world, but to rather conquer our hearts. Conquer the world through conquering hearts. That's what Jesus has come to do. And we're going to continue to spend time this week reflecting on that. But for today, I just really wanted to make that special invitation to all of us. Like, where are you in the crowd? Where are you finding yourself? Like, can we spend that time this week just like looking at ourselves and our heart and like asking ourselves, where are we with Jesus? I want to end with one more quote. It's a it's it's from a hymn that is very popular. It's a Christmas hymn, Um, but it says, "Joy to the world, the Lord is come." Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And I think joy to the world indeed. Like there's a reason this was a glorious occasion and Jesus didn't stop people from celebrating. He encouraged them to sing. He didn't stop them. And I think we have every reason to sing because it is joyful and a joyous occasion when Jesus comes into the world. Like Jesus, what Jesus has done is worth celebrating. But that last line is also an invitation to say, let every heart prepare him room. And so like, where do you need to make room for Jesus this Easter? Like, where do you need to invite Jesus in your life? And I think that's where our next steps are taken us this week. The three questions. Where are you in the crowd that was praising Jesus? You know, where are you? Um, in the five different crowds that we've talked about, Where do you see yourself the most? Where are you connecting the most? And the second one, how do you need to prepare Him room in your heart this Holy week? You know, in this week leading up to Easter, as I said, I think the invitation is for us to be more introspective than usual, to think about our own lives and our own hearts and ask ourselves, where do I need to make room for Jesus in my heart? Where have I been keeping the control and just like wanting things my way? And the last question is, what is the invitation Jesus is giving you as a response to where you're at? So, what is Jesus inviting you to do? You know, and spoiler alert: the ground is equal at the foot of the cross. You know, there's there's none of us that can say we're just way too close to Jesus that we don't need him. In fact, maybe that's that's when you know you need to get close to him. And so. These three next steps are for us to reflect, for us to share in as a community. Um, remember to reach out to somebody um, in our community. Ask them about, you know, what is God doing in their heart this week? Um, we can still be connected. We can still be in community, even though we are um, social distancing and loving each other by being apart. part. Um, but, yeah, let's, let's not stop seeking Jesus. Let's not stop drawing close and asking ourselves, where are we? you know um and having a true um reflection of where we are and allowing god to show us what he wants to do with where we're at all right so i'm just gonna pray for us and just thank you so much for being with us this week and god bless you um jesus thank you so much for the invitation that you give us thank you that the ground is equal at the cross there's no one who can say they know you more than the other Um, and that your invitation is that your arms are open wide. And this week, help us to reflect on what you've done, what you came to do, and all the special details of Easter. We celebrate you, but we also reflect, and uh, we ask you, O God, that you would come into our hearts as we make room for you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: I Christ would do I say, would answer, Tien is Tien, 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 the man Tien, 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 I Tien, not Tien, 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 the I love you. हो जाना हो जाना हो जाना हो जाना हो जाना ती